global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. The Bloomberg Futures Report brought to you by Interactive Brokers and CME Group. If you're looking for global futures contracts at low trading costs, look no further. Interactive Brokers is the industry leader. Learn more at interactivebrokers.com slash CME Group. U.S. stock index futures are lower, shadowing a slide in oil with the S&P 500 on track to halt a streak of five weekly gains that wiped out all its 2016 losses. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures down 14 points. Dow E-mini futures down 112. NASDAQ E-mini futures down 26. The DAX in Germany is down 1.6%. Ten-year Treasury up 6.30 seconds. They yield 1.85%. Yield on the two-year, 0.85%. NYMEX crude oil down more than 3% on $1.26 to 38.52 a barrel. COMEX gold is down two-tenths percent or $2 to 12.23.60 an ounce. The euro, $1.1157. The yen won 12.46. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Francine. Karen, uh, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. Francine Laquan, London. I'm Tom Keen in New York. I've really been waiting for this, folks. Miles Kimball has one of the most interesting paths to the University of Michigan in economics out of Harvard and then Brigham Young University in linguistics and then back to Harvard to take his Ph.D. in economics. And he joins us now from Michigan. Miles, you you are in the heart of the debate on negative interest rates and their ability to stimulate the economy. You and Scott Sumner have been leading the charge saying the media is flat out wrong and the consensus is wrong about the harmful effects or the silliness of negative rates. Discuss. Oh, no, absolutely. So, I mean, first of all, the, you know, negative interest rates are just, uh, an extension of positive interest rates, really. I mean, in other words, if the Fed cuts interest rates, it has pretty much the same kind of effect if uh, if they go from, you know, zero to minus 1% than if they went from plus 1% to zero. And so most of the mechanisms are the same, you know, and so, and, and for most people, and you can sort of see that if you think how they'd affect most people, uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, most of us don't have the kind of credit ratings that the U.S. government has, despite everything. And so uh, we're not going to get negative interest rates uh, anytime soon in our borrowing. But if, if the government can, is getting minus 1%, you know, the, the rates you pay on auto loans and the pay, rates you pay on mortgages are going to go down. And so more homes will be built. Uh, people will buy more cars. I mean, the, the way in which it works is really pretty straightforward that, you know, having negative interest rates for the government means that the rest of us have, unfortunately, not negative interest rates for our borrowing, but lower rates. But, Miles, in, in Switzerland, right, so I live in London, we, we follow negative rates, we look at the Swiss example, uh, interest rates actually means that mortgages went up in Switzerland because banks are trying to make money somehow, right? So there's a theory, but in practice, the side effects of negative rates could, could be pretty tough. Well, that has to do with the, the, so far central banks have not fully taken the plunge into negative interest rates. They're doing it in a, in a half, half-baked way, quite honestly. Um, what, what you need to do to do, to do a, a real uh, negative interest rate policy is to lower all the interest rates that the government controls 
including the interest rate on paper currency. Unless you reduce the interest rate on paper currency along with the other interest rates like the the uh, Fed funds rate or the repo rate or the or the interest on reserves, you are going to be squeezing banks. And so in order to avoid that kind of effect, you really should bring down paper currency interest rate. There's also other policy mistakes in how negative interest rates Mm -hmm. have been implemented. In particular, I've advocated that um, the interest on reserves formula should be used so that so that the central bank uh, supports the the private banks in giving zero interest rate right. small scale depositors and if you do that you're going to really help a lot in terms of the profit squeeze on on banks so far they haven't done that in a fully systematic way right. i mean tiered i mean it, it, you know it, systems where you exempt some of the reserves that banks have from the negative interest rates uh, help but i'd like to see that okay. more closely tied to to just uh, making it so that regular people pretty much get okay. zero instead of negative rates in their in their regular deposits. We'll come back and talk about this, but I want to get this in, Miles. I think this is so important. The distinction you make is the mechanism or process of negative rates so far, or is it that we need ever more negative rates to have it click in and really work? Well, as far as effectiveness, it's very simple. You know, uh, you have to judge the effectiveness of negative rates per uh, basis point or per percentage point. You know, it, there's no reason to expect that cutting rates from zero to minus three-tenths of a percent would have any bigger effect than going from plus three-tenths of a percent per zero to zero. And you wouldn't think that going from plus three-tenths of a percent to zero would have a huge effect on the economy. It, it can be helpful in stimulating it, but it's just not much. I mean, there's no... I mean, negative rates are powerful if you move them a lot, but, but there's no magic. They work in the same way as, as uh, cutting rates in the positive region. So, you know, normally in a recession, we cut rates by uh, 600 basis points or six, six percentage points. And, uh, and it's that kind of move. It's things like a four percentage point cut or a six percentage point cut that would be super powerful. That would be very, very powerful. And there's no reason at all interest rates can't be cut to minus 4%, minus 7% if absolutely necessary. So one thing I've said is, you know, I I don't care any country in the world in its current situation, if they went to minus 7% for two years, they would actually have too much aggregate demand. The, the economy would be overstimulated. You're not going to need to move down that much. But, you know, if the, it's the realization you can have as big a dose of negative interest rates as necessary that's the key, but you can only do that if you do it right. right. If you, if you, if you, if you don't do the kinds of things I'm talking about by dealing with the paper currency interest rate, you can't well, go down that road. Let's, let's come back. Miles Kimball's with us at the University of Michigan. It's been incendiary uh, within academic economics on uh, this raging debate over negative interest rates. We'll come back and talk to him about how the Fed deals with this ancient debate of real GDP versus GDP plus inflation. All of a sudden, it seems to me the dialogue is becoming more Miles Kimball-like. We're counting down to the opening bell brought to you by the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the most awarded SUV ever. 
Jan Cherokee continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior, legendary 4x4 capability. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, I'm Karen Moscow, and along with Tom Keene and Francine Lacroix, the opening bell is brought to you by SEI. Imagine when cognitive computing shapes the experience you create for your investors. See how SEI's global operating platform can be your catalyst for business intelligence at SEIC.com slash imagine. Stocks are lower at the open. The S&P 500 is down four-tenths percent or seven points to 2028. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down three-tenths percent or 54 points to 17,443. And the Nasdaq's down half percent or 24 points to 47.44. The 10-year Treasury is up 7.30 seconds. The yield 1.85 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 3.4 percent or $1.35 to 38.43 a barrel. COMEX gold down two tenths percent or $2.50 to 12.23 10 an ounce. The euro is at $1.1159. The yen 112.47. Tom and Francine. Karen, thank you so much. Uh, Tom, you know, we talked about correlation in the markets. We talked about correlations back in January and seemed that all of the markets around the world were correlated towards oil. Now they've changed. Their benchmark mm. is dollar, right? Stocks around the world today uh, dropping. This is as dollar extending uh, gains for a fifth day. This is all on the back of what we heard from Fed officials. But it's amazing how these markets move in tandem and, and they latch on to something and then they move uh, correlated to that. Yeah, well, uh, part of that is the blanket that's over everything. And this has been a great theme, folks, this year, this idea of lethargy and a lower terminal uh, value. And, and, and Francine, for you to bring in Professor Kimball from Michigan, I've noticed a shift just in the last few weeks where if we're not talking about nominal GDP, we're faking it and talking about real and inflation combined. But we dare not talk about nominal GDP because that's not what we do. That's a good setup for Miles Kimball. Yeah, it is, Tom. I know you've been at, uh, way out front on this, especially on social media. Uh, nominal versus real GDP. Let's welcome back Miles Kimball uh, from the University of Michigan. Miles, uh, when Tom Keene talks about nominal uh, GDP versus real, I mean, the main difference, of course, is that real values are adjusted for inflation. Uh, nominal values are not. But this is an important uh, differentiation that we should be looking at more. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, that what, what Scott Sumner and other folks have been talking about, about uh, nominal GDP targeting is, is helpful, that, that basically we, we should be looking at you know, both inflation and GDP, and there's, and there's no harm in combining them and looking at uh, nominal GDP together. But there are actually, you know, a lot of things we should be doing differently with monetary policy. I mean, the biggest single thing is is – empowering monetary policy again by being able to do negative interest rates but there are many other things we should be doing differently with monetary policy and one of them is simply uh, moving interest rates as much as necessary to get the economy on track if the economy is overheated we should raise interest rates a lot just for a brief time until we get on track and if uh, if, if interest if 
the economy needs more stimulus, we should lower interest rates a lot till we get on track. I mean, if you're about to run off the freeway, you don't say, oh, I'm only going to turn the steering wheel a little bit and, and hope that uh, I gradually get on track. No, you turn the steering wheel as much as needed in order to, uh, in, in order to get back in your well, lane. Yeah, Miles, that's true. But actually, when you look at the reluctance of politicians to come up with either fiscal policy or to pull their weight in structural reforms around the world, then if central banks do too much, it almost discourages you know the current front to also move a little bit to the right, so that you don't. Actually, have I, I very much disagree with that bit of conventional wisdom. I, I think you want to have a clean separation, that, they, that the central banks are in charge of keeping the economy at the natural level of output. And once you've done that, then the conversation becomes, what should we do about fiscal policy for the long run? You know, uh, should we be uh, building more roads and bridges? Should we be cutting taxes? Those are the right kind of conversations <clears throat> to have in the right. long run, as well as structural reforms. But quite honestly, it's tough to have a good discussion about structural reform when monetary policy is off target. It's right. like by taking care of the things that monetary policy is supposed to take care of. And that's not the job of fiscal policy. It's the job of monetary policy to keep the economy at the, at the natural level of output. Right. I mean, fiscal policy just can't do that job very well. As by the way, we found out quite, quite well in the last uh, few years. Right. Fiscal policy is not up to the task. Monetary policy would be if you bring in negative interest rates. Central banks can and will do that job. Review how we got here. Scott Sumner uh, established a cottage industry at Bentley University and George Mason, uh, working with this idea of we got to go back to what we had. Miles Kimball, you're at Michigan. Long ago and far away, there was no real GDP. We just did nominal. We made the switch because of high inflation. I get that, but we don't have high inflation. Why are we struggling with a nominal GDP analysis? Well, uh, I, I don't. I think that it's uh, you know it's just equivalent if you look at uh, real GDP and and inflation. I, I think the issue is is really that central banks have been, you know. That this balance between looking at the data on inflation and the data on GDP. I mean, you know, we want to have stable inflation, but but the trouble is that that uh, it takes a long time for things that are going on in the economy to fully show up in inflation. So you have to look at all the data available. I think if you you know combine the real GDP with the inflation to look at nominal GDP, that's actually uh, a, a very nice thing to be looking at. You know, you graph that, you get a really good sense of things. So I think one of the great things about nominal GDP is that that it's uh, something that reveals what's going on quite well in a in a low tech way. You know, that's, that's yeah. quite transparent, easy to communicate. Uh, I, I'll go with the idea that it's easy to communicate and it's a very visible uh, number. Is there any history? And we got into a big discussion yesterday with Bullard about neo-Fisherian theory and DSGE and all that, the new modern mathematics. But I, I, do we need to go back to almost Samuelson 101 of 1948? Is that the Sumner Kimball scream? I. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I'd say say that. I mean, I think that the, you know, to be honest, I, I think that there, 
I think nominal looking at nominal GDP is helpful, but uh, but I I think that you uh, bring in the tools of negative interest rate policy, and even if central banks did things otherwise the way they're used to, we would have a much better outcome in nominal monetary policy. I, I think we can improve in various ways, and I think uh, we, we are on a track to improve monetary policy. This is a big leap, is bringing in negative interest rate policy, and there are half a dozen other things we should do to improve monetary policy, but I'm actually quite optimistic, and I, I think that the, the debate about nominal GDP is, is part of that improvement in monetary policy. I, I think that that's mm-hmm. pushing things forward. I, I'm not, I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't... Uh, um, necessarily put it first among the, the half dozen things that we need to be doing. Uh, you know, I think okay. the first among those half, half dozen things is really uh, eliminating the zero lower bound right. and bringing in negative interest rate policy. No. And My- uh, I think, but I think in that half dozen, the nominal GDP is helpful. Miles, thank you so much. Miles Kimball with the University of Michigan, a spirited discussion. And we've already had a couple of emails in. Uh, I promise we'll effort Mr. Sumner uh, here uh, as we have spoken to him from Bentley University uh, a few times uh, as well. The Dow negative 86, the VIX up a full 1.35 points, 16.29. Our news this morning brought to you by Westchester Subaru. Visit Westchester Subaru. Dot com. With our news, here's Michael Barr. Tom, thank you very much. Belgian and French media report a second suspect is believed involved in the Brussels subway attack. Authorities have said that they believe the suspect was caught on surveillance cameras in the Brussels metro and is alive. He was on video with another man whom prosecutors identified as a suicide bomber. Evidence is also mounting that the same Islamic State cell that carried out the Brussels attack also carried out the attacks in Paris. Officials in Malaysia and Australia say two pieces of debris recently found in Mozambique that most certainly belong to the missing Malaysian Airlines Flight 370. The search continues for the jetliner, which vanished two years ago over the southern Indian Ocean. Malaysia's transport minister, Liao Chung Lai, says the location of the debris matches ocean drift patterns studied by searchers. Uh, it's confirmed that the plane ended in the South Indian Ocean. And uh, this debris uh, actually uh, followed a drifting pattern. The U.S. has charged several people accused of being hackers linked to the Iranian government. According to an indictment unsealed today in Manhattan, they allegedly launched a series of cyber attacks on U.S. financial institutions. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. Now, Michael Barr, Tom. Michael Barr, thank you so much. A 10-year yield, it comes in now two full basis points. Risk off feel. The Dow, negative 80. Francine Lacroix in London. I'm Tom Keene in New York. Bloomberg Surveillance. And Bloomberg Surveillance being brought to you by Sector Spider ETS. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF.